All right. Is everybody ready? We're in James chapter 4. We've been cruising through the book of James and, um, and getting a lot of good practical stuff. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about exercising our faith. It's time to work out our faith. And this year we wanted to start that way with, with exercise, with moving in the right things. And, and so that's what we're doing. We're exercising. We're moving. We're flexing our spiritual muscles. We're getting stronger spiritually. And uh, we went through a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, I don't know what, what your week has been like. Um, those of you who just came off that season of fasting, has it been kind of crazy? I'm just wondering if anybody's had a crazy week. I know for, yeah, okay. So this is great. Me too. All right. So like, I just want to make sure we're not alone. Because what can happen is when you get off of a spiritual mountain, where do you go? There's a valley, right? And there can be oppression. There can be spiritual oppression that comes back in to try to discourage you and all that kind of stuff. And so I want to encourage you, if that's you coming down off of that and you're experiencing discouragement, keep pressing on. Press into God because, honestly, a lot of times the valley's the next season to get through the breakthrough that you've been praying for. And so don't give up in that. And I'm preaching to myself when I say that. It's like, don't give up, Tim. You know, don't give up. Don't, and let's not give up. Let's keep pursuing God and going deep with Him because He wants to do some great things. And he wants to do some movement in our lives as we dig into uh, this season. And so we are in the series, and if you haven't joined us before, in the book of James, we always create these series guides. And if you don't have one of those series guides, we create a reading plan so you can read every single day during the weekday um, and, and read ahead of the sermons that we preach on. You can either scan that QR code, uh, you can do it online on our app that you just clicked on and added to your homepage, or you can grab a physical copy on the tables in the back of the auditorium and use that um, to spend some quiet time, prayer time, that kind of stuff during the week. We wanted to give everybody a tool to do that. There's also on there a memory verse, and we're shifting to memory verse number two, right? We've been talking about wisdom, and, and so this wisdom now describes what wisdom is, and, uh, and we're actually digging into what this kind of wisdom is. And so the memory verse that um, we're talking about now is James chapter 3, verse 17, and it describes the kind of wisdom we've been praying for, right? James 3, or James 1 said, if you don't have wisdom, if you lack it, ask God. He's faithful, and yeah, he'll do it, right? And so now we're saying this is then what needs to be coming out of us. This is what describes that type of wisdom. And so let's do this. Let's read this out loud together, and, and you can be studying this and memorizing it in your own time with that reading plan. So here we go. James chapter 3, verse 17. Let's all read it out loud and proud. Here we go. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is a good kind of wisdom, isn't it? This is the kind of wisdom we want to let pour out into our life. This is heaven's wisdom. Um, if you remember the illustration from last week where we poured God's wisdom into this thing that we have in the world's wisdom, our flesh, our sin nature, and, and Satan himself tries to give us wisdom that isn't God's wisdom and doesn't, provo- prov- uh, doesn't promote these things. This is what comes out. We let God's wisdom pour into us, and those things start to come out of us and start to be diluted because we want heaven's wisdom. Amen? That's what we want. And so, uh, and so today, we're going to be talking about that uh, a little bit more, and we're going to get very practical in James chapter 4 um, as we get into this together. So this is what we've been doing around here at New Hope. We have been standing in honor of the Word of God when we read it on Sunday mornings. And so if you have your Bible with you, open to James chapter 4, open your app. If you have an app, Bible app, and let's all stand together as we read the passage that we're going to be um, getting into. So if you can stand with us, that's awesome. If not, that's okay as well. Um, but this is James chapter 4. I'm reading from the NIV verses 1 through 12, what we're focusing on. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire 
Um, or you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law that judges it and judges it. Uh, When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? God, as we dig into this passage today, we need your wisdom poured out into our lives. We want to understand what you're saying to us today and what we need to do in our lives this morning even. To walk into your truth and your freedom and the wisdom that comes from heaven. And so lead us by the power of your Spirit. And we just ask this in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. 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 You guys can have a seat as you shout victory. Victory. That's what we're walking into this year. We're walking into victory, right? We want to walk into some victory. And uh, and that's that's what we're digging into. Hey, we're going to play a game. Anybody love games? Last week we played a game. This game we're playing today is called Who's Your Friend? Okay? And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have two different people, and you have to pick between these two people which one is going to be your friend. Okay? And I'm going to have you shout it out. I'm going to go one, two, three, shout your friend of these two choices. Um, So who's your friend? Number one is this. Who's your friend? Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck? Shout your friend. (laughs) Wow, that was a mix right there. Okay. This is the right answer, by the way. Um, <laughs> you can't even understand Donald Duck. How can you be a friend of somebody? <laughs> like, you can't even know what he's saying. Anyways, all right, pick your friend. So, okay, that was a mix. You all shouted out different ones. Okay, it gets a little harder. Okay, the Browns or the Steelers? Pick your friend. <laughs> Dog pound. All right. That, I, it was a mix there. I was actually surprised by that, and you'll still come to the same church together. It's awesome. All right. So, pick your friend. Okay, it's going to get harder. You guys ready for something harder? Now we're getting political because we're talking about. Russia and Ukraine. Pick your friend, Vladimir Putin or Voldemort Zelensky. Vladimir, Vladimir, this guy. All right, I was counting three last names. One, two, three. See, you got quieter on that one. Like Mickey Mouse, like Mickey Mouse, like you're like, you know, like you're like all in. And now I'm getting like, wait a minute, this is like something more serious, right? These are, they're at war with one another. Which one's going to be your friend? Which one would you choose to be a friend with? Let's, let's just go all the way. Everybody ready? Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa? Everybody, who's your friend? Shout it. Mother Teresa. Good, because if you answer the other way, we're going to have a conversation right after this gathering. I mean, we're talking evil and like somebody who's known for being the best, right? When it comes to making positive change in the world, somebody who's made a name for themselves for both sides. So at the beginning, you were like, oh yeah, this is the one. And at the end, you're like, ooh, this is, I mean, I know, right? 
See, when we're talking about the passage we're going to James chapter 4, this is the tension that James is bringing to us as Christians. He's asking the question, who's going to be your friend, the world or God? Point number one, fill in the blank, is this. We're, we're jumping right in the deep end. You cannot be best friends with this world and God. You, you, that's what James is saying. It's like you can't do it. You can't straddle the fence of best friend. See, the thing, you, like when you think about your friends, even like your best friends, the friends you spend the most amount of time with, whoever you spend the most amount of time with is who you're going to start to look like. That's how life goes, right? Show me your friends. I will show you your future. Because you start behaving and acting like and talking like those that you spend the most time with. And so James is like presenting this saying, some of you are being friends of the world and not friends with God. Some of you are trying to be friends with God, but you still want to be best friends of the world. And you can't. It's two different categories. It's two different groups. It's two different things. As polar opposite as Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa is how far James is going. And so we get into this tension right at the beginning. I mean, he's just, boom, chapter four is like, when you read it, it maybe those of you who read it this week, you're like, this is heavy. Like, he's saying some pretty, like, point blank, you sinners, you, you know, like, wake up and mourn and wail. And it's like, whoa. And so I want us to understand, I, I really do, I want us to unpack and understand this and what he's really saying to us today and, and this tension that we still live in today. Nothing has changed with humanity. Let's read it, okay? Let's read James 4, 1, 1 uh, through 3 I'm starting with. So he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, a battle within you, right? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. He's talking about these tensions. It's like you're, you're longing for things that are shiny and flashy in this world, but you don't get it, so you get angry and you fight and quarrel and kill. I don't know if they were actually killing. I hope not. I think it was more like, you know, Jesus said, like, if you want to kill somebody in your heart, it's like you did it, you know, that kind of sin at you. You're, you're just struggling internally. And in verse 3, he says, uh, you do not have because you do not ask God. So it's like, okay, I'm fighting and quarreling. Oh, it's because I didn't ask God. He says, and when you ask God, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So he just exposes our hearts right at the very beginning. He's like, listen, here's the problem right at the beginning. You fight, you quarrel, you're jealous, you're, you, you, you have all these emotions, you, you want things, but you're not getting them, and it's like you, want, you live in this tension, and rather just you are distracted by the shiny stuff of the world and the promises that will never get fulfilled with the things that they are bringing before you. That's what he's saying. He said, and you don't even ask God about it. So like you want that thing, and you're just trying to come up with a plan, you're trying to work hard, you're trying to do this, and trying to get that thing or whatever that is. And you're just doing it all on your own, and like God is kind of the last resort. And when you ask him, it's the last resort. He is the last resort, and you're, you're asking really just for yourself. It's not for somebody else. It's not for God. It's not, it's not like, you know, if your will be done, it's like, no, give this to me. I want this so that I can use it however I want to, and it's still selfishly motivated. It's like, this is wrong, is what he's saying. Like, he, he's like, this is not what it looks like to be a friend of God. This is being a friend of the world. And then, he, and then he just keeps going, all right? Is anybody glad he came this morning? Um, he just keeps going, verse 4, and he goes, you adulterous people, shazam, like, like boom, right? You adulterous people. This goes back to the Old Testament language. The Jews would be following God, and they'd be following the law, and they'd be worshiping the way he wanted them to, and all that kind of stuff, and then they would get distracted by the shiny idols of other nations, and they start worshiping other gods and goddesses, and they bring them into the temple, and they started to, to dilute, and they started to be friends with other things in the world than they were with God. And God continued, if you read the Old Testament, this is the pattern. And the pattern is then that he would call them you adulterous people. 
You're like, man, that's adultery is having an affair. It's, 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 it's saying, I love you, but I'm going to not act like it. I'm going to love this instead. And that's what he's saying in this. He's repeating it's like, when you live for the world, if that's what you desire and long for, you're loving something other than the one that saved you. That's why he's saying you're adulterous people. You want God, but you long for something else. And so he's like calling it what it is. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? It's like there's a battle going on for our hearts, our attention all the time. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Whoa. See how extreme he goes. It's like if, you, if all you want is this world, you can have it. It's not going to fulfill anything in your life. It'll be momentary fulfillment, but not eternal, not long-lasting, right? Because then there's the next shiny thing. There's the next thing that you didn't, you wanted, and you got that. Oh, I got it. Boom. It's like, well, now I want that next thing. And it's, it's, an, it's a, an unappeased appetite. You can't appease it. You can't settle it down. It just keeps going. And that's when you become an enemy of God in this process. Verse 5, or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? This is like when we talk about God being a jealous God. It's not jealous in the sense of what we think of worldly jealousy. He's jealous because of what he's done to pay for you. I mean, you were worth Jesus to him. He was willing to send his son to die on the cross for you. And I think that sign of love would put a jealousy for that love in return, right? It's that longing for, this is what I've done. I put my spirit in you even. And I long to be with you. I'm, I'm jealous for your attention. I want you to belong to my kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. But he gives us more grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Like, there's hope in this passage, just so you know. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't end with so good for you. You know, it's like, that's not how it ends. It's like, no, no, no. Let's not forget God's grace. This battle is real between the world and God. We wrestle. We live in this world, and we live for God. We don't live for this world. Let's live for God. But we live in the tension of this world and the brokenness we live in. And we have God's grace in the midst of that tension that we live in. Right? And that's what he's saying, but he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the what? Proud. Pride is in opposition to God 100% of the time. But what does he do? He shows favor to the humble. This word favor, the, the Greek there is, is the word grace. Favor is God's grace. So he opposes the proud. If you come to God with lots of pride, I'm just letting you know, you're going to hit a big giant wall. If you come to him with humility, you're gonna come with a, he's going to come with an open hand. Actually, two open hands. <laughs> And he's going to hug you in. He shows favor and grace to the humble. So the question this morning is, how do we not live as enemies of God? How do we live as friends of God? What does it look like to live in friendship with God? Well, this is where it starts right here, this this last passage. Friendship with God only grows through, um, through, through of his, that's bad language, grows through his grace and our humility. Friendship with God only grows through His grace and our humility. That's, that's where friendship with God begins. If you're proud, I'm telling you, he, who likes being a friend of somebody who's really boastfully proud? 
Anybody love to be that friend? No. The only reason you'd be that friend is because you're a very insecure person and you want to attach to their, their strength or their confidence. And so you kind of put yourself under them, like, oh, yeah, I'm with them. And like, oh, yeah, they're doing cool stuff and whatever. But, you know, I'm cool too. You know, like, that's, it's our insecurity that latches on to boastful, proud people because we're, we kind of want to glean off of, like, their confidence. But all of it is, is just a facade, right? Nobody wants to be a friend of a proud person, and God is the same way. He shows us grace in this tension, and it grows in his grace, him saying, I see it, I know it, and I know you're in the world, and it's not perfect, and I've done everything to help you in this broken world. I've given you everything you need. I pay for everything for you to be in my presence and to be part of my kingdom. And so if you just humble yourself before me, I will continue to show my favor. I'll continue to walk beside you. I'll continue to speak over your life. I'll continue to make the straight paths ahead of you. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but he will be with us through it. And so that's what we're talking about today. We want to walk in friendship with God, not friendship with the world. And so then he keeps going in verse 7 through 10. And he, he just get, he answers, so how do we become friends with God then? How do we do it? How, how do you become a friend of God? Let's, let's read this next passage, this next part. So how do we become friends with God? This is what it says. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Who wants that promise this week? Right? <laughs> like, that's why I'm saying. This was that week for me. I'm like, resist the devil, resist the devil, resist the devil. Like, this is the one. But if all you think is like, resist the devil, I got to resist the devil, I got to resist the devil. And we try to do it in our own strength, right? In our own power. Like, I've got the power. And it's like, that's not how it works. You got to submit yourself to somebody before you resist, right? So resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded he says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves. There's this word again. Being humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will do what? Lift you up. This is a promise passage. This is a promise passage. Display pride before God. Don't get lifted. You get smashed by the world. You humble yourself before God. He did you know that God's hand's pretty big? That he's pretty strong. He's strong enough to lift you up. Sometimes we don't feel like it, right? Can we be real this morning? Sometimes we wrestle with God. Sometimes we struggle in hard times. Sometimes we're like, come on, God. I mean, I have faith in you, but this is ridiculous. And we struggle in those seasons. But it's in those seasons we have to speak into our own hearts and lives the truth. God, I know it's a struggle, but... I'm trusting your hand is big enough to lift me up, to lead me through to get to the other side of this. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. I don't know who you are, but you need to hold on to that. Hold on to that word this morning. If you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up. So the second part of this, or the middle part of this passage that we're talking about today, he teaches how do we become friends with God? What does this look like, Okay. And I'm putting them all on one, one thing, all right? So fill in all your blanks here. Those of you who are, you know, OCD and like, ah, uh, I need my blanks filled in. Um, how do we become friends with God? Number one, he says, submit to God, right? That's the very first thing. He says, submit yourself then to God. 
What does it mean to submit yourself to somebody? This word submit or submission um, is a very unsexy word in our culture today, right? You don't think of the word submit as positive. You hear it and it's almost overbearing. You think like to submit to somebody is like they're trying to control you. They're trying to like wear you down. They're trying to like, and that isn't this image of submission, okay? When we think about the word submit, it, it's, to, it's to intentionally decide to set yourself under somebody, right? It's a decision to say, I'm, I'm placing somebody else as an authority in my life and I want them to be the ones that, that lead me, that guide me, that cover me. And that's what God wants to do. That's what he's saying. He wants to lift you up. He wants to be with you. Like to submitting to God is submitting to the one who knows everything you need. Submitting to God is the one, submitting to the one who's paid everything for you to be with him. Submitting to the one who has shown love after love, grace after grace over your life. I'm telling you, he's worth submitting to. He's got something for you. And he does. I'll just be honest. He wants something from you too. Like it's not just a me, get, get, get from God. He's going to call you to something. And that to is much better than the world is calling you to something. The world's calling you to lesser things. God's calling you to heavenly things. And so in this submission, you're submitting to him to say, I want to be under your grace. I want to be under your protection. I want to be under your forgiveness. I want to be under your love. I want to be under your authority. I want you to rule as Lord over my life. It's not a word we use a lot today, Lord, right? To Lord. Like, we, we want Jesus, we want God to be on the throne of our hearts, not us. When we sit on the throne of our own hearts, I'm just telling you, I am a wretched person. I know the sin in my own heart. I know how easily any of us in this room can justify ourselves. No amens there. Okay. <laughs> right? Like, we, we can talk ourselves into things, even stupid things that we know are stupid, but we can even, like, justify the stupidity. That is, a, when we lord in our own hearts and lives, that is who's leading us. One who is prone to sin. I would much rather have the perfected one as lord of my life, who is prone to grace who's prone to forgiveness, who's prone to lead me towards better things. Submit yourself to God is the beginning of a friendship with God. You cannot have salvation without submission. Submit yourself to God, he says. And then he says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. If you want to be a friend of God, it means you're not making yourself a friend of the devil, right? It means you're not allowing Satan's influence in your life. Last week, we talked about the influence of our life of wisdom. Um, and if you weren't here last Sunday and you're wondering this whole idea between godly wisdom, the world, the sin, and Satan, like, I just go watch last Sunday's message. It was really good, okay? That's not me boasting in myself. Like, whenever I go back, I watch my own sermons. I'm weird like that. And I watch them, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so good. And when I say that, I'm like, God, you are so good. Because like he says things that I don't say and things come out of this mouth and I'm like, Holy Spirit, you're awesome. Because when we let ourselves be... Um, uh, okay, I'm going sideways real quick. All right, where are we at? Resist the devil. 
So we were talking about, and he talks about the same tensions I talked about last Sunday, and the same tensions were the things that, we, that try to pour into our life. The world tries to pour its wisdom into our life, and we struggle and battle with that. Our sin nature tries to pour wisdom into our life, our selfishness, all that kind of stuff. Satan himself is trying to pour his wisdom, his lies, into your life. Like, that's what he's trying to do, and this is what he's repeating. He's saying, like, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Resist the world. Resist your own sin nature. Resist those things that aren't of God. And that is an intentional decision, right? It's whenever you have a temptation come your way, you're already ready for it because you know your propensity to that thing, whatever that is. And so because you know that that's the thing that normally hangs me up, when Satan comes with it, you're already ready with your defenses. The Word of God says... That's what Jesus used every defense against the enemy. The word of God is your sword. It's the only part of the spiritual armor you attack with. So I want you to tell you, you got to be in God's word or you can't resist the devil. Because he's going to lie his face off. And if you don't know the truth, you're going to walk right into it. You got to get into your word. You got to be in the scriptures. You got to resist temptation. Reject the devil reject temptation, reject the things of this world that you know are distracting you, causing noise in your life. And this is the promise. He will flee from you. He doesn't want to attack somebody he can't have victory over. He'll go to somebody who's a a lot more easy to distract if you're undistractable by his ploys. I'm telling you, you got your spiritual armor on. He's not going to waste his time. So submit to God Put yourself under his authority. Resist the devil. Resist temptation. Resist the world. Like, know what your, your, your pleasures are. Know what your sin nature is. Know what Satan uses in your life to try to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he says, and come near to God. Such a great promise. Come near to God, and he will do what? Come near to you. When you come near to God, he doesn't look at you and go like, oh, honey, you got a lot more work to do before you come here. That's not what he says. He's like, no, dude, I saw what you did last night. No way you're coming near me. No, that's not it. If you're humbling yourself before God and you come near to him, his promise is, I'm coming. I'm running to you. I love the story of the prodigal son. It's that image of God running towards the lost son, right? He runs towards us. He draws near to us. And the way we draw near to God, how do we do it? How do you draw near to God? You pray, you worship, you read the word. That's, that's how you draw near to God. So if you don't do those things, just so you know, you're not drawn near to him. You're hanging out in this world. You're hanging out in your difficult situation. You're hanging out in the stress and busyness. You're, you're hanging out in places where God's like, I want to come near, but you're not coming near. I want to meet you there at your workplace where that crap is going on. I see it, but you're not coming to me. You're not coming near to me. I see that broken relationship and how much you're battling and struggling and frustrated. Come near to me. I'll come to near to you in it. This is his promise. To be a friend of God, you submit to him. You resist the devil and the temptations of the world and you come near to God. You pray. You read God's word. You worship. You worship him. You thank him. You sing to him. You proclaim his goodness in your life. Come near to God and he will come near to you. He will run towards you. And the last one is the heaviest part of this passage. Let me, let me read it again. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
right? That doesn't sound very, I don't want to do that, right? <laughs> Who wants to do that? He's given us, he's going back again to the picture of the Old Testament. To when the Jews walked away from God, what did they have to do to come back to God? They had to repent. That's what he's saying. Like, for them as a nation, those are the prophecies, and the prophets would go out and say, listen, you guys need to turn your joy and your, your pleasure into mourning. You need to fast. You need to, to, to wail over the sin and the way you've ran away from God. Saying, repent. Repenting is saying, this was the direction I was heading. It was the wrong way. It was away from God. It was friendship with the world, my flesh, and Satan. And I'm repenting to turn the other way towards God, and I'm running towards Him. He's coming to me, and I'm saying, God, here's all the sin. The good news is, you show it to God, and He says, thank you. Giant eraser shows up. He says, I forgive you. It's no longer in your account. It's no longer on the sheet in heaven. It's no longer used against you. You are forgiven. This is the humbling yourself, confessing your sin and being forgiven for, for, forever. If you want to be a friend of God but you've never repented, I'm telling you, you're still a friend of the world. You're still a friend with your sin, actually, because you're still carrying it around with you like it's a buddy on your back. He's saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You don't have to carry that. You're not strong enough to carry that. And just so you know, you can't carry that to heaven. You bring it before God. You repent. You say, I don't want this. Will you forgive me? The most powerful words you'll ever hear in your entire life. I forgive you. We don't hear it often enough. And we probably don't say it often enough. But God says it all the time. You ask, and he will forgive. And so if you want to be a friend of God, submit to God, resist the devil, come near to him, and repent of your sins. That's it. Like, James makes it so practical. He's like, you want to be a friend of God? Boom, 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 boom. Just do the top four. So if you've wondered, maybe you're here and you're spiritually curious. Maybe you're here at New Hope or you're listening online, you're watching this at a different time, you're like, I'm kind of curious about this God thing. I don't know about him. I don't, like, if you wondered how this whole thing works, this is how it works. This is what you need to do to become a friend of God. It's accepting the gift of salvation that God has given you. Okay? So let's be friends with God. Let's not be friends of the world. And that's why I went pretty extreme with who's your friend, Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. But that should be our same reaction as a Christian. Are you a friend with the world or are you a friend with God? Whoa. I'm a friend of God. Everybody with me? Okay, let's go into one more difficult thing. Ready? Because then, then he wraps it up, verses 11 and 12, and, and, um, and, and he now like zings, zings us. Because he, he was talking, the first part's about how do we relate with God? What's our horizontal, what's our vertical relationship look like? How do we become a friend with God? And now he moves and he starts transitioning into how do we relate with each other? That's the horizontal relationships in this world um, that we live in. Like, how, what does that look like? And he starts talking about judging, okay? We've got judgmental people here this morning. Raise your hand. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Point at him real quick. Here we go. So this is what he says in verse 11. Let's keep going. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. 
And when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver, and he's talking about God. There's only one lawgiver, is God and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. That's God. He's, he's the judge, he's the lawgiver, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Are you ready? This is one of the most misused scriptures in the Bible. Right here. This is the last part. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Because right there, you're thinking, see, don't judge other people. Or no, you can't judge me. The Bible says so. Well, let's talk about this. <laughs> let's talk about this. Let's just fill in the blank and we'll dig into it. There is a difference between being judgmental and rightly judging. And I'm going to give you some examples in Scripture. There's a difference between being judgmental and rightly judging. Those are two very different concepts. And so when we see in this passage, it starts with words, right? We, did, we heard that passage from Sam about talking about our words. Our words make worlds. I loved that phrase. Words make worlds. And he's saying, with your words, don't slander, because you're slandering somebody else. You're creating a world that they can't control, whether it's true or not. And you're creating a world of people's mindsets against somebody else. That's the devil's playground. He's saying, don't slander, don't gossip, don't, don't use your words to tear other people down. Don't, don't use your words to try to build yourself up. The reality is our words expose our hearts. That's what it does. What we say exposes what's in here. And so if something bubbles out and you say it and you're like, I didn't mean that. Really? Yeah, you did. It was in there, right? It came out of you because it was inside of you. And, blah, 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 and there it went. You need to ask yourself the question, why did that just come out? Not excuse yourself like, oops, I'm sorry that came out. Like, whoa, where did that come from? And it's good to immediately apologize. <laughs> and not just like, you know, just, oops, sorry, didn't mean to say that. It's like, yeah, you did. So right away say, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. Will you forgive me for saying that? Right? So you, you need to respond quickly because our words expose our hearts. If it's slander and gossip, um, if that thing's in your heart, it's going to pour. I, I like this imagery today, uh, or uh, this week I heard, heard somebody talking about this, driving in a car. Um, imagine that uh, you're on a road trip, and you're going on some very bumpy back roads, and I pour you a cup of, of, of a beverage. It's your favorite beverage, and there's no lid on it, and I fill it right to the brim. I say, okay, we're going to go. Ready? Hop in, and you have to sit in the passenger seat and hold your cup. And once I start driving, what's going to happen with that cup? stuff's going to start pouring out of it, right? Do you know what's going to start pouring out of it? Whatever's in it, yes. And that's the same with our life. When our life gets bumpy, whatever's in you is going to pour out of you. And, and, uh, and it's, so you've got to check your heart, right? Like, what's in there? Um, if, it's, if it's jealousy, slander's going to come out. Because you're going to be jealous about what somebody else has. You're going to have to bad talk them to make yourself feel better right? Gossip's going to come out. Gossip is just that thing that makes us feel more important. Hey, I've got some information about somebody and makes me feel like I'm valuable. When all you're showing is you're a jerk, that's it. You're bringing no value to anybody. But there's this weird emotional thing that happens inside of us when we do this stuff. It just comes out of us. It's self-protection, insecurity, maybe superiority. could just be pride, when you are judgmental, and this is what he's talking about in this passage, when you are a judgmental person, you put yourself in the seat of God over the other person in judgment. 
And that's what he's saying. Being a judgmental person is being somebody who's judging somebody with selfish motives. We're going to look at another passage that, that shows us this picture. Right? And, and this is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 5. He's, he's talking about this very thing. So in Matthew chapter 5, let me just read this passage and, and unpack it. He's, and you read at the beginning, it says, Do not judge or you too will be judged, right? For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what you are going to give in this area is what you're going to give back, is what he's saying. If you're judging other people, get ready. Judgment is coming to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's this plank in your own eye sticking out like crazy, right? He says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will, be, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, when you read that passage, you're thinking the whole time, like, oh, so we're not supposed to judge other people, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're a judgmental person, you're judging even though you are a hypocrite in the thing you're judging. You're, you're calling out somebody else's sin while you're sinning in the same way. It's like, that's, yeah, that's wrong. Like, look at your own heart first. Let God work in your own issues. Let, ask for forgiveness from God in that, those areas. It's like, I know my propensity for this, whatever that thing is. It says, when you judge someone, don't do it with a judgmental attitude. Don't do it with a superiority, with, with a complex of thinking you're better and judge over them, thinking that, yeah, my sin issue is not a big deal. There's, whoo, did you see what they did? Right? Because you read the last part of the verse, he says, once you take the plank out of your own eye, you will see clearly to do what? Remove the speck from your brother's eye. He didn't say, don't do anything about the sin you see in your brother's eye. But he said, check your heart first. To be in, are you with me here? I, I, I'm trying to make this make sense. If you're judgmental, it's for selfish gain and motivation. If you're rightly judging, you're thinking of the other person first. To rightly judge a situation where you see somebody sinning or you see somebody going towards a dangerous place in their life it is our call as Christians to encourage other Christ followers to say, watch out. To say, hey, brother, sister, I'm seeing this issue in your life and it keeps coming up and over. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? I'm just one who received grace over my sin issue. I want to help you receive it too. What can we, what, how can we walk in this together? That is rightly judging and acting in selflessness to lead somebody back to Christ. So the thing, the, the thing I don't want you to hear is, like, you're never supposed to judge anybody. If you never judge anybody, you'd be friends with stupid people. <laughs> you judge people by their actions every single day. Are they a safe person or a dangerous person? Are they a healthy person or are they really unhealthy? Can I be close and be a friend with this person or should I just kind of keep my distance from this person? You judge people every day, but what's your attitude behind it? Are you judging in superiority or are you judging with grace? One is rightly judging, one is being judgmental. And so when I see this passage, this is, this is what, um, what it says. Judging rightly is this, judging without hypocrisy with an attitude to help them. That's what judging rightly is. It's not judging with pride. It's not talking to others about it. It's not 
yeah, your desire for them is their freedom. You want something for them. Okay, does that make sense? So, so don't take scriptures out of context <laughs> and make a whole doctrine off of something that isn't actually said. And, and don't say, well, you can't judge me. Say, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to help you. If that's her attitude, I would walk closer to that person, not farther and push them away. Now, if it's the opposite, it's okay to confront somebody who is judging you and say, listen, you're speaking bad about me. It's hurting me. You're hurting other people too. Please stop. That's being a peacemaker. That's being proactive. Peacekeeper would be like, well, it'll just settle down. No, it won't. You're going to hold on to that issue with that person until you do something about it. It's going to keep you up at night, right? Like, Christ followers are proactive people. We do the right thing that God calls us, and we do the next right thing he calls us to. So, okay. Boy, this is a lot this morning. So we want to be a friend of God, amen? Amen. We want to resist the devil. We want to come near to God. We want to be always in an attitude of repentance and humility. And today, I, that's my question for us. Who are you a friend with today? Who are you a friend with today? Are you walking in friendship with the world and distracting yourself being, from being a friend with God? Second question, are you a judgmental person? I would ask you, if you're a judgmental person and you find yourself looking down at other people, ask God to expose whatever it is in your heart that is causing you to live that way. Because I'm telling you, that's a miserable life. You'll never be satisfied because there's always somebody else to judge. There's always somebody else to look down on. There's always somebody else to have an opinion about. There's always, it, it, that'll always be there. So ask out, expose whatever this thing is. Is it insecurity? Do you not know that you are fully, 100% loved and accepted by the God of the universe? If you don't know that, I would encourage you to draw near to God because he will tell you every single day, I love you, I accept you, I am with you. Draw near to me, I'm drawn near to you. Your insecurities will disappear because you'll know the most important person in your life loves you unconditionally. Be secure in him and not anybody else, all right? So what is that? And, and what spills out of you? When life gets bumpy, what is spilling out of you? Just give that to God. Say, this keeps spilling out of me, God. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't want it. Help me with this. And he will. God, for all of us this morning, as we <clears throat> are challenged by your word, as we're challenged by the book of James, I mean, he, we're so grateful he wrote this. We're so grateful that we can be exposed to your truth in such a real and raw way so that we can really wrestle in our own hearts with where we're at. We can judge our own hearts of, are we friend of you or friend of the world? Where, where are we allowing distraction in? Where are we walking away? Where do we need to repent and come to you? How do we need to draw near you? All these things, God, are so real and practical, and this week we need to step into it. So whatever's hindering us this morning, each one of us, would you free us by the power of the Holy Spirit? If there's somebody in this room who is just insecure, 
And they're walking in that insecurity, and it's coming out in different ways. It's coming out as control. They're trying to control people around them all the time, and it's really their insecurity. Or whether it's, it's, um, it's self-abuse. They don't think they're worth anything when we know that they're worth Jesus to you. Their value is, is of the greatest thing. Whatever it is, God, just free them from those things. I want to give an opportunity this morning. Let's just say in this attitude of prayer and response. Like, if, if you don't know God, if you don't have a friendship with Him, I don't want to leave without giving you an opportunity to, to know Him. And, and this is how we know Him. We confess with our mouth and in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for our sins. And we will be saved. It's, it's, it's accepting a gift that God is just readily handing out and saying, I want that gift. I want a relationship with you. And if you want that today, I want you to pray. I want you to ask him. I want, I want you to just come before him. And he may already be doing something in your own heart and life that you're like, I don't know what this is. And trust me, it's God calling you to him. It's God coming near to you because he wants you to come near to him. And so you can just pray right now, wherever you are here watching online, in this room, you say, God, I've wandered far from you. I've wondered about you. But today I want to be with you. So would you please forgive me of my sins? I confess with my mouth and my heart that Jesus is your son and he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And so I'm giving them to you and asking, would you forgive me now and forever? I want you to be Lord. I want to submit to you, God. I want to draw near to you and I want to experience you and your presence right now. Enter into my heart. Enter into my life and change me. And I just ask this in faith in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. And God, for all of us, as we just wrap up this morning, let our hearts this week, let our hearts draw near to you.